Good morning, church. Praise God for blessing us with another day. I've said this a lot, but it is a strange time that we are living in, very different from what we've been used to. Sometimes we pray and we ask God to take us outside of our comfort zone and to break us away from our idols or to wake us up from our spiritual slumber. And I don't think we envision something like this when we pray that. Um, but I know that God is doing things in the lives of many people right now and breaking us free from a lot of things as we adjust to this uh, current life situation. In a moment, we're going to read from the Psalms and then we're going to sing. First, I want to remind you of a few, few things that are going on right now. Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 o'clock on Facebook, we're having brief devotionals usually about five minutes or less. If you're able to, join with us on those evenings. Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, IGY is going to be meeting on Zoom. You can reach out to me for the link, the room code, and the password. We're going through the book of Ephesians together, and it was a lot of fun last week. Our life groups also met on Zoom on Friday night. I enjoyed our life group a lot. It was awesome. It was good to have everyone together in a virtual room of sorts. And if you're not a part of Life Group right now, now is the time to join. Reach out to myself or Pastor Mike. There's not really a whole lot of other ways that you can see people, so join a Life Group. Uh, lastly, if there's anybody who is in need of groceries or other supplies, please let me know. Um, whether it's because of financial reasons or you're not able to go out, we have a grocery team that's set up to help pick up and deliver for people who need it, so don't be afraid to ask. Now let's look at Psalm 33 uh, as we get ready to sing. I shared from this psalm on Thursday night. I want to read some of it again. In verse 1 it says, Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song, play skillfully, and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The psalmist says we are to sing joyfully to the Lord, and we are to make music, and we are to sing to him a new song. And this can be a little more difficult for us right now, especially since we can't sing together in the same room. And I understand this. And I think it's appropriate to mourn the fact that we can't be singing together this morning. But we do not mourn as those who have no hope. And that is not an excuse for us to not sing praise to our God. He is faithful in all he does. His word is true. Salvation belongs to him. And he has gifted it to us through his son, Jesus. So we have a reason to sing this morning. So church, I ask you to sing. It may be weird, you might not love the sound of your voice, but when we all gather here on Sunday mornings at the same time across our homes, let's be singing together across O'Fallon and the greater St. Louis area. So I encourage you, don't just sit and listen this morning, but sing. Pray with me. Lord, our eyes are on you this morning. Our hope is in your unfailing love to deliver us from death and to keep us alive in the midst of this pandemic. We wait in hope for you, Lord. You are our help and our shield, and in you our hearts rejoice, for we trust in your holy name. 
May your unfailing love rest upon us, Lord, even as we hope in you. Good morning, church. We're going to get into the word today. Excited to bring God's word to you. Thank you, Justice, for your call to worship. And thank you, Chris, for uh, leading us in worship these last few weeks and this morning. God is good. Amen. And I am awesome. Uh, it's awesome to, for us to have lyrics for us to be able to see on the bottom of the screen. So uh, our sound guys um, were able to work that out. And uh, hopefully that was a blessing to you all as well. Let's look at First Thessalonians. We're getting into chapter two this week. We're going to see a couple of things that God wants to uh, impart to us. It says in 1 Thessalonians 2, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to worship you this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to sing your praises. Lord, thanks for the opportunity that we can have technology to worship, to hear the word preached. Open up our hearts now, God, to receive what you have for us. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. I want you to first get some background as to what's going on with Paul as he's writing the letter to the Thessalonians because he mentions, look back at verse 2, he says that they have been shamefully treated and suffered at Philippi. Well, what's going on at Philippi? Let's look. It's really cool that we have the book of Acts that tells us exactly what was going on with Paul and what he was dealing with in Philippi. So look at Acts 16, if you will. It says in, uh, let's see, where should we pick it up? Verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we were supposed, we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And what ends up happening? Lydia ends up getting saved. That happens then this slave girl comes along a couple verses later and is really being a nuisance. She's demon-possessed, actually, to Paul. And so he ends up casting the demon out. And that's when all craziness breaks loose. It says that they got dragged, verse 19, into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Now look what it says here. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. So, <clears throat> I mean, they're being physically beaten 
and harassed. What happens then? They get thrown into jail, right? And then we have the amazing and awesome story of what? The Philippian jailer. He ends up getting saved. And then notice what happens. Verse 40, we're still in chapter 16. They went out of the prison. They visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. And then check out how verse uh, 1 of chapter 17 starts. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. So that brings us to it. So when Paul comes to Thessalonica, it is very fresh what just happened to him in Philippi. I mean, he was just there, you know, a couple days before, right? They get out of there. So when he says, back in Thessalonians, turn back there, though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So they just got the stuffing beat out of them. And what do they do? They still do what God has called them to do. So there's three primary things I want you to take away from my sermon today. Three things I really want you to see in this passage that are key to understanding what God has for each one of us. The first one is this. Minister during conflict we need to minister during conflict uh, the, the the apostle paul and the people with him on his mission trip they, they were beaten down they were treated horribly well, what did they do they pressed on they marched on did they call it quits after philippi i mean could you have blamed paul if he would have called it quits after philippi we, we just need to take a little break we, we just need to regroup a little bit no god had given him a task he had given him a ministry Paul was going to be faithful to carry it out. So they pressed on. They put their hand to the plow. They didn't look back. Friends, sometimes we got, we got believers plowing their fields and they're looking behind them instead of looking forward to where they're going. Okay. So what happened? What occurred? Uh, conflict is a distraction thrown at you by the enemy. Listen to me. Conflict is a distraction thrown at you by the enemy to make you ineffective. The enemy wants you ineffective. He wants you down. He wants you out. He wants you discouraged. So he's going to do whatever he can to get you off track. And that's what happens sometimes. When we got conflict, we get off track. When we get some stuff thrown our way, when we get some persecution. Listen, all sorts of things will be thrown your way in life. All sorts of things. I remember when I was 25, talking to people 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years older than me, thinking, man, I've been already through a lot. Like, uh, how much more is there learning to, and experience? Uh, there's quite a bit. There's quite a bit. Uh, there's heartache and pain and troubles and conflict that are going to come our way. The Lord allows in his mercy and grace to allow to come into our life. Do we just give up and bail? No. Now, maybe some of you are feeling like that, giving up and bailing. But here's the thing. If you're going to live the Christian life, you're going to deal with Christian strife. It's just a guarantee. Listen to what it says in 2 Timothy 3. In fact, I want you to turn there. 2 Timothy 3. It says this. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. How many who desire? All. All 
who desire. Do you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus? I hope you do. I do. Well, guess what? You're going to be persecuted. That's like when you when you get saved, like that's what you're signing up for. You're not signing up for uh, all sweet and dandy and candy life. You're signing up to really live for Jesus. You're signing up to follow in your Savior's steps. Friends, his steps lead to the cross. Guess what? That's kind of where your steps lead to. Take my cross, follow me. Take up your cross daily and follow me. So <clears throat> when we talk about ministering, one of the things we have to do is we have to minister during conflict. And here's the thing. When it comes to people, we have clear teaching on how to handle them. Look at Matthew chapter 5. This is Jesus speaking. It's the Sermon on the Mount. He says, But I say to you, verse 44, I say to you, love your enemies and do what? Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who persecute you. I like how the King, King James says it. It says, bless those who persecute you. Because really, if you think about it, uh, when you're praying for someone, uh, I mean, you're praying good things for them. You're praying for God to bless them. You're praying for God to, to minister to them. So the King James kind of catches the essence there. When not, not praying bad things for people. When you're praying for people, you're supposed to be praying good things for them. So bless those who persecute you. Listen, friends, Paul didn't let anything stop him from being a witness. He did not let anything stop him from being a witness. I mean, you realize that. And sometimes, like, we stub our toe, like, metaphorically. We just, a little, little bump happens, a little bit of strife or something. And we're out of spiritual loop for months. We're like, we're ineffective. We can't let that happen. We got to minister during conflict. Minister during conflict, okay? Now, here's the thing. <clears throat> One of the ways... We can minister to people. I mean, God's given us some different platforms, even during this time of, of solitude, even during this quarantine. And we can use things like social media to do what? Like be a witness for Jesus. And here's the thing I want to challenge you with a little bit. I feel like there's been more evangelists for social distancing than there has been evangelists for Jesus. And some people are, are all about this, which is great. I'm... I'm I'm all about that. I, you know, we need to be safe and, and healthy. But <clears throat> um, when, when someone looks at your Facebook, if they jump on your page and scroll down the last, I don't know, 15 or 20 posts, if that's all the picture they had of you, what picture would they have? I mean, would it be um, a whole bunch of political things? Would it be a whole bunch of funny memes? Would it be nature pictures? Would it be scripture verses? And, and nothing's wrong with really any of those things. I mean, that's fine. I'm just saying, like, that is the persona that you are giving to people of what's important in your life. You put something on there, you're telling people, I'm scrolling, you know, I don't get on there much, but when I get on there, I'm scrolling, like, and you're saying, hey, pause and look at this. This is what I want you to know about me for today. So what is it that you want people to know. You know, who are you campaigning for? Are you campaigning for Jesus? Are you campaigning for Trump? Are you campaigning for some hobby you got? I mean, that's the thing. So what's the picture that you want people to have? Try it. Like, go down your, your little, you know, Facebook page and, and see. And see what people would think. 
and maybe you need to change some things. But this is an opportunity for us to do some, some true campaigning for the Lord, for Jesus. Use those platforms that you have. So, second point I got. Minister despite fear. Minister despite fear. Notice what it says in verse 2. It says that they had a boldness in our God. And then jump to verse 4. He says, so we speak not to please man, but to please God. Okay, listen, if you let fear dissuade you from sharing Christ and ministering to others, you know what? You'll never do it. Because there's always going to be that little sliver of fear. It's always gonna be, you're always going to have to beat that down. You're always going to have to do that. You can't be a man pleaser, though. Okay? I mean, so let me be clear. Um, you got to repent of that fear of man. I mean, that's kind of obvious a little bit, but it needs to be said. You got to repent of that fear of man. And you got to push through that fear. But you got you to gotta repent of it, get before the Lord, apologize for it, ask Him to, for you to defeat that fear, right? He hasn't given you a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of love, a sound mind. Here, the apostle says he had a boldness in our God. Why? Because he was convinced of the truth of the very task that God had given him. He knew he was an ambassador. Friend, so are you. Each one of us are ambassadors. Paul had a conviction that that's what he was supposed to do. We need to have that same conviction. It gives us, when we know that God has given us commands to do, we can take confidence that he's going to strengthen us to follow through with it. So, Repent of the fear of man. You're, you're a man pleaser. If you think about it, you're a man pleaser because you have a fear of man. That's really what makes you into a man pleaser. You have a fear of, of, of disappointing someone, a fear of offending someone, a fear of hurting someone's feelings. Okay? All of those things, are, you know, we, so we try to please them. We don't want to disappoint them, so we, we please them. We bend over backward. We do something. You know, we, uh, we're a man pleaser because we don't want to offend someone, so we don't say something that we should. Uh, we don't want to hurt someone's feelings. And, you know, we kind of shy away from dealing with that situation. That's fear of man. That's being a man pleaser. You know, Samaritan's Purse, um, great organization that Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's uh, son, is running, doing all sorts of good work. Um, they set up a tent hospital in one of the parks in New York City. And um, the mayor, Bill de Blasio, um, I mean, he's been asking, hey, we need help, we need help, we need help, we need help, right? I mean, New York City's got it bad. Guess what he said when he found out they were coming? Now, he, now he's been crying for help, asking for help, begging for help. Guess what his response was? He said it was, quote, very troubling. Very troubling. It's troubling that a Christian organization wants to come and offer you assistance without any strings attached. Like, I'm like, what in the world? That just kind of blows my mind. So where's the focus been by the media? Oh, you know, uh, Samaritan's Purse, uh, they're homophobic, they're racist, they have a hidden agenda in coming in here. Um, <clears throat> what? I mean, do you, do you guys not know Samaritan's Purse? Have you not seen the work that they've been doing? For, for years and years and years. I mean, they just, they hit these as a disaster relief. They come into these horrible situations and bring relief and are a huge blessing to what's going on. You know, how, by the way, let's just make a little side note. You realize hospitals are the invention of Christians? Like, that's, that's a fact. In fact, the foremost expert on the early history of hospitals, um, PhD, Gary Ferngren, he made this point most emphatically in his recent historical survey, which 
John, Johns Hopkins University published, and here's what he said. The hospital was, in origin and conception, a distinctively Christian institution, rooted in Christian concepts of charity and philanthropy. There were no pre-Christian institutions in the ancient world that served the purpose that Christian hospitals were created to serve. None of the provisions for healthcare in classical times resembled hospitals as they developed in the late fourth centuries. It was literally a Christian invention. Why? Because people were taking the commands of Jesus and living them out. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Samaritan's Purse is in, in is, I mean, they're in New York City right now. By the way, you know, if this was a Muslim organization, like all the newspapers would be handling how great the Muslim organization was, uh, all the great things that they wouldn't have any criticism whatsoever of any of the beliefs that the Muslims have. But once you bring Christian in, no, well, you know, they believe in biblical marriage. Oh, that's a problem. Now, they're not there trying to push push anything. They're trying to there to be salt and light, ministering to people who are on death's bed, knocking on death's door. No strings attached, totally free. And this isn't, this isn't just, you know, Joe and Billy Bob down the street. These are, these are expert, these are people that are doctors and nurses, all qualified RNs, real doctors, working with Samaritans person have come in to minister to these people. And praise the Lord that, that we have organizations like that. So when tribulation comes, you know, you, you don't retreat into a corner. I mean, Samaritan's Purse just didn't pack up. They're like, no, we're here to stay. This is this is what we do. And we're not going to back down just because we're getting a little pushback. A lot of pushback, actually. So you don't gather up your things <clears throat> when the persecution comes. Listen, <clears throat> you push through that. You don't let the enemy get you afraid. So when tribulation comes, listen, the enemy is going to hit you. And he's going to hit you hard. And he'll use anything and everything and anyone and everyone at his dis disposal. That is a guarantee. If you want to be living for the Lord, you're going to be under attack. If you want to be living for the Lord, he's going to throw, <clears throat> the enemy is going to throw things at you. He's going to try to get you off track. He's going to use all of those things of the flesh, including fear, to try to dissuade you from being a minister of God. My third point, we minister, and listen to me here, we minister to please God. Notice what it says in verse 4. So we speak, he, he picks up, not to please man, but to do what? Please God. But to please God who tests our heart. Friends, the desire of the believer is to love God. That, I mean, that's my desire, right? In fact, that's, that's not just a desire. Like, that's been implanted by God as a desire in my heart. It's also something that we've been commanded. In fact, oh, it's the first and greatest commandment. Uh, it's not just love God. It's love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, right? Heart, soul, mind, strength. What does that mean? Every last ounce that you have. All of it. Everything. So, in loving our neighbor, 
we're loving God. In serving our neighbor, we're serving God. In ministering to our neighbor, we're pleasing God. What did Jesus say? Whatever you do for the least of these, you did for me. So, we're here for God's purposes, right? We're here for God's purposes. We're not here for man's purposes. We're here for God's purposes. Look at what Galatians chapter 1 says. Paul says this in verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, and check this out, I would not be a servant of Christ. Wow, that's, that's serious stuff. Let me read that again. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Man, that's heavy there. I mean, it's like one to the other, friends. One to the other. Which one are you going to do? Colossians says a similar thing. Look at Colossians 1. Paul says this in verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then look at what it says in verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. It pleases the Lord when we follow after him. It pleases the Lord when we serve him. How do we serve him? Well, by serving others. Right? Just like Jesus said. What you do unto others, you done unto me. So that, that pleases the Lord. And here's the thing. Here's what one theologian said. I like it. He said that that word, to please, erascontes, does not simply mean seek to please, but points to the idea of rendering service in the interest of another. Did you catch that? It points to the idea of rendering service in the interest of another. The term appears with frequency in inscriptions that publicly testified to the good service officials or citizens rendered to the state, the people, or the governing council of the city. So what this means is that you want to render service to God for someone else's benefit or interest. Like you're putting, you're putting them first, not yourself first. You're looking out for them, not for yourself. You're being selfless, not selfish. So I like how one writer put it. He said, pleasing God is a fundamental rule for the Christian life. Did you catch that? Fundamental rule for the Christian life is pleasing God. It lies opposite flattering oneself or pleasing a human who can do you good. That's corruption and deceit. So here's the thing. When you seek to please God, that is, when you render service to God for someone else's benefit, guess what? You will, as part of when rendering service to God for someone else's benefit, you'll biblically seek to please other people in love. Because it is interesting, the scripture actually talks about not being a man-pleaser, but it also talks about pleasing other people. So there's, there's this little tension there because we have to check what? Our heart. We have to check our heart as to why we're doing things. Because think about it for a second. It, it's not wrong to seek to please your spouse, right? In fact, you should. It's not wrong to seek to please your parents, 
No, in fact, you should. And it's not wrong to seek to please your boss. No, in fact, you should. But the question is, what's driving you to do it? What's your motivation? What's your ambition? That's the key thing. And a lot of times, if you're being a man pleaser, it's because of that fear of man. It's because you're trying to do something out of selfish interest, something that you can gain from it. So it always, always, always has to go first God, then others. Okay, if you're loving God and seeking Him and serving Him, then out of that flows a biblical righteous service to others. That, that word that I've been using, minister, we're talking about ministering during conflict, ministering despite fear, ministering to please God. That word that you'll see in the New Testament, it occurs quite a bit, the word minister. That's that Greek word, diakonos. In some instances, like 1 Timothy, um, it's translated just deacon, diakonos, deacon. But in other places, it's really more appropriate to translate it as, as a minister. And, and Paul says, oh, this person was a minister, and this person was a minister, and this person was ministering. Well, what's he talking about? Like rendering service unto God. Not for their own benefit, though, but for the benefit of others. And so he commends different people. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. Let's start in verse 5. He says, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Which I think that's important because what he's saying is like, hey, we can't do it on our own. Like, we can't. But our sufficiency is from God. Then he says, Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So God has made you sufficient to be a minister. If you're a believer, he's made you sufficient to be a minister. What he gives you is sufficient. What you have is enough. And what do you have? Friends, you have the Holy Spirit of God living and dwelling inside you. That is sufficient, right? That's sufficient. That's exactly what you need. That's only what you need. That makes you a sufficient minister. And guess what? If you got the Holy Spirit which believers do, then you can minister during the conflict. You can minister despite fear. You can push that fear aside. You can surrender that to the Lord. And you can minister to please God. The natural man, not, not possible. Won't happen. The spiritual man, yes, he can please the Lord. He can please the Father. So I want to encourage us that each one of us are ministers. How are we ministering to one another? All right, this isn't this isn't time to just check out and, and, and chill out and, and flip on Facebook or go through Instagram or, or thumb through the Facebook. I mean, friends, you still have ministry. You still have ministry. It might be look. It looks different. Look, uh, my ministry right now it looks a whole lot different. I am staring at the back of an iPad. Okay, and. There's someone outside the room and there's someone inside the room making sure everything is going fine, right? That my ministry looks a lot different right now. Like, literally looks a lot different. Friends, your ministry is going to look different too. That makes sense, okay? So, if you had a ministry and you were doing it and now you can't do it because of everything going on in the quarantine, guess what? 
God's not. Oh yeah, just don't don't worry about ministry. Not just don't don't worry about that. Just just focus on yourself and focus on your family. Well, you do need to focus on your family, and you need to have some good focus on yourself in a healthy way. But friends, friends, like there's people out there that still need ministry, believers and unbelievers, and God doesn't ever give us permission to just to like boom hit pause on our ministry. He wants us ministering. So we need to see, oh, well, I can't do this particular ministry that I normally do when everything's just all going fine and dandy. Okay, that's true. Same for me. My ministry looks a lot different. Your ministry is going to look different. So you got to sit down and reflect a little bit. Okay, so what ministry can I do? What can I do? What ministry can I do? All right, if you need help coming up with some ideas, like shoot me a text, I'll help you out. Because we got, we got opportunities still, all right? We, we got... Uh, ways that people can serve in all sorts of ways. Justice mentioned a couple at the beginning. So I, I want to encourage us, we have to minister during such a time as this. This is the time for the church to be the church. Now it might look a little different than what it's normal, but the church has to be the church. This is the time for the church to show how to handle a situation like this. What steadies the church in a time like this? Is it our own self-intuition, our own self-knowledge? Uh, no. Is it our trust in, in science? No. Like, show them that you're standing on the rock of Christ. Show them that you're seeking after the Lord. Show them that you're going to continue to trust the Lord. So, with all of that, I want to encourage us to be praying, where can I be ministering? Maybe it's your same ministry, but it looks a little bit different. Maybe it's an entirely new ministry. But God has a ministry for us. He still wants us busy about his work. It's going to look different, but he wants us busy about his work. Friends, let's, let's covenant together to continue to further the work of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you've made us sufficient for whatever ministry that you have before us, God. And let us take it. Open up our spiritual eyes. Let us grab it and do the ministry that we can do, even if it looks different, even if it's not exactly what we want. Let us be true ministers of you. Because we want to we want to please you, Lord. Even in everything going on, God, and strife and conflict, Lord, we want to please you. We want to be your witnesses. So I ask that you do that for each member of Liberty, for anyone else watching God that your ministry of your spirit would go to them right now. Speak to them, show them, open up their eyes, and be doers of the word for your glory. Amen.